Welcome to New Life Lutheran Podcast, where new life in Christ is celebrated and we explore together how to live the Christian life with excellence. Thanks for listening today. You can find our podcast at nllutheranpodcast.com. You can subscribe on Podbean, Spotify, iTunes, and Google Play Music. If you have any questions for Pastor Eric or would like to suggest topics for our podcast, you can email Pastor Eric at erik.anderson at nllutheran.com. Well, welcome back to our New Life Lutheran Podcast. This is Pastor Ben, and once again, I'm joined by Pastor Eric and Pastor Phil. And over the past few weeks, we have been fleshing out what it looks like, uh, what we expect our life groups to look like, and what elements we hope to exist within each life group. And so if you've been listening last week, you know that we started working through our acronym, which is LIFE, and the first one was LIFE SHARING, and we talked about this idea of being transparent and the benefits that it brings. And so this week, we're moving on to a focus on intentional caring, the second letter of our acronym. And so we're going to get into that conversation, and hopefully this will benefit you and help you in your life group or help you find a space where you can live out these things in your life. So Pastor Eric, I'm going to start uh, with you this morning. And as we started our conversation about life groups, we talked about how right away the early church began to model this type of behavior by meeting together in homes. So what I want to ask you this morning is, how do we see in the beginning of the church that the believers specifically not only met together, but cared for each other? Yeah, so we have um, a couple of kind of key scriptures when we talk about um, this kind of caring for one another. And and the first one, I just want to uh, maybe reframe the, the whole New Testament and almost all of Paul's letters are centered around this work that he was doing of traveling to churches, proclaiming the gospel, and collecting money for the Jerusalem church. There was something going on in the Jerusalem church that it was um, it was, it was, was poor, and it was unable to function the way that it needed to function. Um, and so his letters have several references all throughout them of him making this collection. So really the whole New Testament, uh, or, or the book of the New Testament, is shaped around this journey that Paul was taking to collect money for um, for the church, so I think we see it. Um, I think it's in Acts twenty when we hear about that collection first, or maybe it was Acts fifteen. I can't remember. I think it was Acts twenty, but he references it in like First uh, Corinthians, Second Corinthians chapter eight, First Corinthians. Um, uh, see, now I can't even remember. There are several several instances where he mentions uh, Galatians two is another one where he mentions this collection of caring for the poor. Um, of of taking care of those that are that are in need. So the whole all of Paul's writings are shaped around this event, collecting money. It was one of the biggest, uh, one of the most important undertakings he did, and he actually saw it as central to the work of the church. Um, that people uh, of diverse backgrounds, Jews and Gentiles alike, um, barbarians and Romans, um, could gather together and could support one another this way. He actually saw that as I mean, and that was. He used he uses this 
this event of collecting this money um, to, to talk about how um, Christ's body fulfills its purpose when it is uh, a, a diverse community of people gathering together. Um, so it's central to the New Testament and to the early church, this act of gathering money for the Jerusalem church. Um, but before that, kind of more, um, uh, more generally, uh, in Acts chapter 2, um, we do in the in the passages where it's kind of highlighting what happened early on, um, verses forty two through forty six. There are several references in there and how the believers, the first believers, gathered together um, in their homes. And then it says that that everyone had everything in common. Um, and if anybody had need, somebody would sell their house or sell their property, and they would give to the apostles. They would give to the church. And then the church would redistribute that for those who had need. Um, so we see right out of the gate um, in Acts chapter 2, right after the Holy Spirit comes, right after the first believers um, were converted uh, by the power of the Holy Spirit, there's immediately this work of caring for one another, of uh, raising funds for one another, of helping each other in poverty um, and in sickness and in singleness and all those sorts of things that would marginalize people in that society. And then also wider, in the wider church, um, we see Paul doing this work of collecting money for a poor community um, that was kind of an important figurehead for the church, uh, being being the church in Jerusalem. Um, so we see it, uh, I mean, right, right away um, in the church, and then also throughout the New Testament, Paul references caring for the poor, and he's specifically signaling this collection for the Jerusalem church. So it's all throughout there. I mean, it's, it's woven in the early life of the church. All right. So I'm going to uh, switch the conversation a little bit, but kind of connected to that. Uh, Pastor Phil is our elder statesman in the room. And so I'm going <laughs> to ask him as he's, as he's served at different churches and led different churches, how have you seen the church bodies intentionally care for, for one another? Maybe each church has been different, but how have you actually seen that play out? In the more established churches where people have been parts of the congregation for their families for generations, it, it, it it's it more informal. And in the churches where people have not been a part of the church for generations but have just come new into the church, there tends to be more caring, more uh, deliberate effort to care for one another. Um, and uh, when somebody's going through grief, you know, when my wife was dying, um, members of the church that I was no longer a part of, St. Paul's, where I had served, brought over a meal for us mm-hmm. uh, after she got back from the hospital the last time. Um, we had friends who had been a part of a um, support group that we had been a part of, uh, a larger, Vita Cristo was called, and they came and, and they sang in our home. They had a, a um, they sang some Christian hymns and stuff. Um, so, um, yeah, I, I've seen it happen. But it in well-established congregations, it it it's sort of under the table. But um, in congregations where people are new to one another and they haven't been lifelong members, there is generally a more intentional effort to care for other people and. Uh, if they're in need, I know guys that in a support group, one fellow went to the hospital, the other guy showed up and prayed with him before mm-hmm. surgery, or they visited him afterwards. Mm-hmm. So um, support groups, could, and they deal with those personal situations of grief, illness, uh, struggling with uh, issues in one's family, mm-hmm. and offering advice and listening. Um, most, it's a lot of those personal kind of things. 
I know in our church we have a, a number of things that we do. It's uh, we have something called food for friends, where people drop off food for those who have recently maybe had a child or recently gone through a surgery. Uh, we have a quilting ministry who will uh, drop off a quilt and a prayer shawl for people in need. There's a lot of different ways, and there's probably a lot more. I'm just thinking of a couple off my head where New Life steps in and serves. And of course, the life groups all have their unique way of caring for each other as well. But this past week, we had a really good example of it. Yeah, and it really yeah. kind of caught my attention. Pastor Eric and I got in a conversation with a, a younger guy who was visiting because his grandmother had fallen. And so she had fallen at home, and luckily there was nursing staff there. And so they, they took her to the hospital. And in the midst of that, she had at least all three of our pastors show up. I'm sure she had other friends and family from New Life show up. A group of guys went over and I believe mowed her lawn and cleaned her house and stuff. Yeah, mowed, trimmed, did a little bit of landscaping. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And there's been all these uh, all these things happening in the support system for her. And so as the grandson came out, he was obviously was very grateful. And our conversation kind of focused on this idea of when you're not in a church community, mm. what does life look like in situations like this? Mm. Right. And so what we've kind of seen is that, especially for the older older community, you know, when you get up there into your 90s or so, or you get to that point in time where you have to go into a nursing home, a lot of these poor people, if they don't have a church community, they just sit there mm-hmm. and the kids live far away or can't visit and the grandkids are far away mm-hmm. and there's not really those social networks. Mm-hmm. But a church family steps up in these situations if it's working well and there's intentional caring and these people right. are loved, even if... Even if you don't know them that well, they're a part of your family at your church. And mm-hmm. so yeah. you definitely see that that playing out. And obviously it stems all the way from the beginning where mm-hmm. people are willing to sacrifice their own resources that they right. had earned to make right. sure that there wasn't someone among them who was poor. Mm-hmm. And so it's just an, an amazing, amazing example of, of how that plays out throughout history and really also at New Life. Yeah, and I and I and I also I do just want to kind of touch on what Pastor Phil said that in churches where it's more generational, the church is a little bit more established, and uh, it's a little bit more natural. I think that's uh, that's right. And even at smaller churches, I think it's the same way too, where uh, this becomes a natural part of the of the life of the church. And so that's what you know when we talk about um, why our life groups do this is because they're a natural expression of Christian mm-hmm. community, where it's very difficult for a church our size, which we have about three hundred thirty on a weekend um, attending. Uh, it's very difficult um, to remain connected in a way, in a meaningful way that that you can care for mm-hmm. one another, and so um, I think that that's the benefit of of why one of the good things that come from from a life group system is that we can help um, our people, we can help our people, and systematize a little bit for them how to care for for one another. So I think that it's it's much like Paul going to these other churches and making a collection is that once the church gets big enough, you need to start putting um, tracks on things to help people engage in this, where it's just so easy to fall through the cracks. And it's so easy um, uh, for especially you know older people to fall through the cracks um, mm-hmm. of, of a church community if, if it's not really intentional about um, caring for one another. So that's um, I think that's a huge benefit of, of what we're doing. Yeah. yeah, there's definitely some tensions that that arise in a growing church. So you you plant a church and and right away kind of like Pastor Phil said, it, everyone's kind of on mission together. They have a central focus, whether it's starting the church yeah. or or planting this church or building a building, and everyone's kind of on the same page, and they're focused and they're united. But then the ultimate hope is that 
that church setting, that body, that body of Christ then begins to fulfill the Great Commission. And if the right. Great Commission is effective, there's going to be more and more and right. more people there. Right. But oftentimes what comment I will get is, uh, have we gotten too big? Hmm. In other words, what they're saying is yeah. not have we fulfilled the Great Commission. Uh, what they're saying is, have we gotten out of touch with one another sure. is the concern. Mm-hmm. And so you kind of led into this a little bit, but mm-hmm. why don't you get a little bit more specific? How does a life group setting actually mm-hmm. allow a church to continue to fulfill the Great Commission and add people on a weekly basis, oh. monthly basis, yearly basis, but not lose touch? And for example, right now we have 330-ish that show up on a weekend, but we have almost 700 members. Right. And, and keeping track and having intimate relationships with 700 people for three people on a pastoral staff yeah. is I mean, an impossibility. Yeah. So it would be us going out to lunch with one person, each one of us, every day <laughs> of, the of the work year. week. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, it would be outlandish. And so it's not possible, right. uh, but it's an okay problem. You just got to have a better system. So what does that look like for you? Yeah, this is just the nature of, of a larger church. When it gets larger, you have to create um, more systems. And this is what happened in Acts chapter 2. Um, when people would sell their property and give money, they gave it to the apostles. They gave it to the leaders. Um, so then the leaders could redistribute it as needed because no one person or even one small group of people can know everything that, that needs to happen. Um, yeah. So uh, again, you know, we just, it, it all comes down to empowering our, um, uh, our congregation to, to do their work as Christians. Um, so this happens. Um, so then our, our work then is to empower them um, to preach preach the word and uh, administer the sacraments and then empower the congregation to, um, to be mm-hmm. the church, to be the hands and the feet of Jesus. So um, it goes back to the consolation and, um, uh, of the brethren, which is mm-hmm. what we talked about, the conversation and consolation of the brethren, which we talk about life sharing. And so with intentional caring, it's, it's us providing, um, uh, uh, first of all, a, a database of, hey, here are all the needs that we know of, um, then also a way for our life groups to... Um, to do those things. Um, so the way that we do that is um, is I have uh, I give our life group leaders a form that helps them. Um, if somebody, for example, uh, goes into the hospital or has a baby or I, I don't know, you know, God forbid something horrible happened to one of their family members or you know whatever good or bad, anything that happens, um, it provides them just a quick checklist to help put some bones, some structure around how they can care for this person. So um, it's immediately they gather together for prayer. So they set a time to get everybody together with the person and pray. And they do that. Um, it helps them think through things like, do does this family or does this person need meals? Do they need to be checked up on you know, every other day or every few days? Do, does a pastor need to know about this? Does any family need to be contacted? So we've essentially... Um, taken what might have been uh, in a smaller church what the pastor does, um, and we've given it over to our congregation to do for one another. Um, so that's the benefit of the of the, the life groups, is that they can add, um, we can add more people to our church without losing that care. Um, because now these smaller groups of people, where it's really easy to be anonymous when you're with 330 people mm-hmm. um, at one time, or on one morning, or one weekend, um, it's a lot harder when there's eight of you. And so when there's eight of you, they can know everything that's going on. Um, They can know all the ins and outs of your life. They've been walking through you and sharing life with you. So then when something happens, 
they are the they're the next natural step, right? And so the goal is, um, and we say this not because we, um, th- this is kind of what we say in, in a traditional smaller church. Um, the first call might be to the pastor, although we the three of us know that that's not usually the case. Somebody gets sick. Mm-hmm. Oftentimes, the pastor doesn't even know till after the person's left the hospital. Mm-hmm. Um, but oftentimes, the pastor's like the first call. And so then the pastor goes and visits. The pastor does a checkup. The pastor does uh, talks to the family, all those sorts of things. Um, we can't do that with the three of us, with 330 people. That's our 700 members. Um, that's an impossibility, pretty much an impossibility. Um, and things already sometimes slip through the cracks where it's like, oh, you know, we get busy and then someone goes in the hospital, leaves, and we still don't know and those sorts of things. Um, and so the goal is um, that these life groups can be the place where that first contact can be made. So the first contact can be made. A pastor can be notified by the life group. Um, so if the pastor needs to go visit, um, they can. If not, then that's okay. Then the life group can really care for that person. Um, so we're just trying to create a, a better system so that everyone is cared for. Um, the way that we think we we should be cared for, um, which is with the love of Jesus and uh, to be part of the church, which is what we saw with um, with Geneva. We were notified um, a life group. She's not part of a life group, but she a life group. One of our life groups picked up um, a need for her, and it just so happened that she not only was she in the hospital, but also the person who takes care of her yard is sick, and so they can't you know. So that life group was able to circle around her and care for her. Um, when really for us as pastors, we, we were not, we would not be able to do all of those things or organize all those things. Um, that would just, we have, there are so many things going on in in the life of the church. So that's what, that's really what we hope for the life groups is that even as our church grows bigger, these smaller communities can really provide the, the care that needs that we think really does need to happen and ought, ought to happen, um, in order to love one another. Well, yeah. One example where this really played out well is we, before Pastor Eric was here, I began to kind of have this life group, you know, concept get filtered into the church. There was a specific group that had already started, and they, one of their members in their life group, had a hor- horrific, horrific mm-hmm. tragedy. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's would be even hard to talk about and get specific about. But there was just a, an awful, awful thing that happened. So as I was running to the the hospital as fast as I could, who did I call? I called all the members of the life group. Yeah, and uh, they're the ones who sat in the foyer of the hospital. They're the ones who sat yeah. there and prayed from the beginning to the end. They're yeah. also the ones who picked up and walked uh, with life through this person after afterwards after mm-hmm. the tragedy. Right, mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. they were there for this individual from front to back yeah. in ways that I could never have been. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so they were closer with this person. Uh, they were there for this person, and you know every second of every, every day. And the reality is as a pastor, typically how this plays out is we obviously want to be there for everyone. We just physically can't. We can't yeah. So we, we step up, we'll go to the hospital, we'll check in as much as we can. But after those things happen, let's say yeah. if it's a really bad tragedy and we do a funeral, then that's kind of, yeah, we we're on to the next thing. There's another tragedy coming. There's another sickness coming. This is where life groups also create a, a mm-hmm. long term mm-hmm. uh, element yeah. for a proper and appropriate grieving process as well. Right. That's right. And so that was a primary example. Another reason why I believe that you should be in a life group because it does offer that layer. And right. if you're intentional about it now, when those things happen, you'll have that group with you right. to watch over you. So I'm going to shift it over to Pastor Phil. He had mentioned last week how he has been a part of groups like this. 
And so I want to ask you, when you've been a part of groups like this, mm-hmm. how have they intentionally cared for you? Um, I think one of the chief parts of a group like this, the ministry is found in the art of listening. Mm-hmm. Being able to listen to someone else. I, over the years, I've learned as a pastor, if I go into a difficult situation and I'm full of my own personal anxiety or whatever in the face of it, mm. I'm uh, talking a lot, I'm, I feel I have to do something, you know, and, and the chief task in the art of listening I've discovered is setting aside my own anxiety and opening a quiet space within myself so the other person can talk. And I don't have to, you don't have to have answers. You right. don't have to have answers for other people. Right. But if you open the quiet space in yourself first and let that person come in and let them share and talk, most of the time, most of us will work it out simply by knowing somebody's listening and caring and we'll talk it out. But the art of listening is essential to caring for one another in in a group. And that means setting aside my, you know, 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 somebody says... uh, I'm going to go to the hospital. Oh, I went to the hospital too. You know, it's like, hold it. At that point, I need to listen to that person's anxiety rather than tell my story. And that simple act of opening up and let somebody else give, it's like providing a quiet space so this person can just talk. Mm -hmm. That is one of the essential parts of ministry that we do for one another. And you don't have to have answers. People will find that answers on their own. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it's a long walk. It's, you know, that intense loss you talked about. Um, after my wife died, I was in a Bible study for 10 years. It's now come to an end because the good friends who led it are moving. But uh, I would go every week to that Bible study. And I, I started before she died, and after she died, it continued. And that became a place of constant support. Mm-hmm. And I didn't always talk about my grief, but I just needed their friendship yeah. and a place to share and uh, people's willingness to listen. I think the art of listening is um, one of the chief... There's the doing things you've talked about, mm-hmm. and those are good. Yeah. I mean, those are excellent. Yeah. And it's a witness to other people that we care. Mm-hmm. But the art of listening is the chief form of ministry in a group mm-hmm. like that. Mm-hmm. And you don't have to have answers. Just listen, and it, it's a it's a form of it's ministry. Yeah, that's so good. Yeah, um, I was having a conversation with Blake Blake Shipman, and that conversation will be posted a few weeks from now um, on the podcast. But I had a conversation with him, and I was talking about coming out of the tradition that I came out of, where when you have this tradition that talks about the the personal pursuit of holiness or of goodness, um, it creates less space for that kind of listening because pain and suffering has to be filtered through um, this is making me better and I have to <clears throat> respond better and I have to be better and some of those things. And and with our with our tradition, um, you know, when, when Martin Luther would give counsel in his letters to those who were suffering, and even when he suffered um, the death of his own daughter, his Margarita. Yeah, um, what was her name? Margarita. Margarita. Yeah, um, I think the the 
the way that we understand suffering, if it's physical or emotional, um, helps with helps actually makes ministry more possible because what's happening is that God is um, allowing or applying pressure onto us to bring us closer to Him, and so it's actually not a way to get you know higher up on the holy ladder. It's actually he's it's just the opposite, right? It's actually to get us more to a rock bottom experience. So. God will use um, tragedy and he will use pain and he will use suffering in order to draw us closer to him, in order to get us closer to him, um, which there wasn't a space for that um, in, in my previous uh, ministry. But so then that allows for this listening, right? Mm-hmm. That you're exactly right. Like there, there's lots of good things that we can do, but ultimately it's just about being present with that person. And when you listen, when you're listening to them, um, and, and sharing in their grief or their pain or their suffering, you you are being Jesus to them. Like that is that is Christ working through you, um, and you're fulfilling your vo- vocation. And those are good works that God is working within you. And so you are you are being Christ to that person. Um, so they actually are being drawn closer to God through your through your listening. Um, so I think that you're you're right on, and it actually makes us. It, it draws us closer to God, and make that's how we that's how we become better Christians is when we're closer, you know, when we abide. Um, and so I think that it does those things for us. Yeah, I think you're right on, Pastor Phil. Mm-hmm. Well, as both of you have been a part of uh, specific life group settings or or settings like that, how have people cared for you better than a pastor? So how have they brought you into spaces? Maybe it's been listening or caring for you better than a pastor could, or better than maybe a better way said is better than a pastor has time for. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's it. So how have you guys seen that play out? Well, it's just that you put it well earlier. You know, I go through this one uh, grief experience with a family, and then there comes another one. You know, yeah. So I, I don't have the time to stick with this particular family. Mm-hmm. I, I must move to the next thing or the next thing that's brought to me. You know, the pastor ends up being a kind of um, I suppose, uh, specialist or something who who's looked to first to respond. But the long-term, the long-term care, it comes from the friends that are always yeah. there. And that long-term, the pastor can't be a part of everybody's life all the time. It just doesn't work. So it's those friends that have that long-term relationship. That's the it, it, it's that that people count on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think um, in my my experience, um, and it may just be I don't remember any time where the pastor that I was under. Uh, walked with me through any particular hardship. It was always, always um, the other brothers and sisters in the congregation, mm-hmm. um, not not the role of the pastor that did that. So I don't, you know, and of course I've I've been involved in larger churches. That's been my other, I pastored a couple of smaller churches, but I've I've been in the congregation of um, larger churches. So I don't think I've ever experienced. Um, that kind of small church environment where, um, and even the one that I did that was smaller, it was a Mennonite church when I was in college and I was interning, um, with a Mennonite church and, uh, and you know, they're very good at caring for one another. Um, so even then, uh, even though that was a small church plant, this pastor still didn't 
didn't do a lot of that. Um, it was, it's always been, I've never had an experience where, um, the pastor's been the, the expert that walked into the room to, to walk through, um, suffering or some sort of issue, um, with me. So, yeah. All right. So as we kind of move forward and think about life groups, and we talked about this idea of intentional caring. So I want to ask you, Pastor Eric, Mm -hmm. as, as the leader of this ministry, Mm -hmm. what would you like, how would you like to see this play out in the lives of our life groups? What does intentional caring look like if, if you could paint the picture? Yeah. Um, the, the nature of caring for one another is that you kind of go from crises to crises. That's just kind of the nature of it. Um, so you can you can create some structure around and, and help people how to care for one another. Um, but you really, you can't systematize it a whole lot because exactly like, like Pastor Phil said, really it's not, it's not so much about doing things. It's more just about being with the person and, and, Really, the 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 kind of structures that that we put around it for our life groups are really just to help some of the organizational things that are required for that kind of care. Um, you know, so when are we going to get together? As soon as you know, as soon as we can. When are we going to get together to pray for that person? Well, that's not like that's not really doing anything. You know, you're not you're not really like checking anything off a checklist. But that's just like one thing that might slip through the cracks in the panic of something horrible happening. Um, so really the, the structure that we place around it is really more, uh, to provide space so that the life group doesn't have to worry about those logistical issues. They can really just be there for that person and care for that person. So, you know, in my mind, um, the way that we have it, uh, right now, and, and we haven't had any major issues, so we haven't seen it in practice yet. Um, but but the way that we have it now is that if something good or bad would happen, and the birth of a child or the loss of, of a family member, um, that the life group would immediately um, be contacted and uh, by that person. You know, hopefully they're the first call. Um, they would connect with the pastor if they needed to, so they would call the church or, or call a pastor directly, uh, just to let let us know, let the office know that that's hap- that whatever's happening is happening. Um, they would. Go to that person um, and pray with that person. Um, spend time with that person. Um, they would be around that person as much as they can be. Um, then, whenever once the the uh, whatever event is happening, um, if it's good or bad, uh, after it has been done, then the the those in the life group group would continue to do care, uh, primarily through. Um, any sort of like uh, uh, the way that we have it in the checklist is um, food food prep, right? So helping the person um, just have some food on hand, um, you know, some frozen dishes just to help them kind of get through so they don't have to think about um, making food. Uh, if it's house cleaning, I think is another one that we have, another potential option. Um, so there's just a, we have a we have a list of things um, that if a person needs something, then you can just say, okay, this is what we're going to do. Um, and it just gives some space so that people can help be around as much as they can and, and relieve that person of um, those sorts of organizational stressors because, you know, it's hard enough when you have a child um, 
And Ben, you know, this is fresh in our minds. Um, <clears throat> Pastor Phil, it's not not quite as fresh, but I, <laughs> I, I know that you remember because it's, yeah. I mean, it's, you know, you get home with, with a newborn and you're like, our house is still a wreck and we still have dishes piled high yeah. in the sink. And, you know, it's just hard to do those sorts of things when you have a newborn. Um, so that's really what, what we're trying to do is that um, some, some event happens, good or bad, um, then the life group's there with the person, praying with the person, um, helping that person with anything they might need. Um, but really, at first, it's just being with them through the event. Um, when the event is over, it's following up with them, caring for them, um, helping with whatever they might need. Um, and then if the church needs to step in with some more more assistance than the church can, if that's you know financial or whatever that might be, um, there's this, the life group then is how that gets funneled to those people. Yeah. I really appreciated what you said earlier, comparing a holiness church where every life struggle, every dealing with life is in terms of holiness, whereas uh, I guess Luther would be dealing with life in terms of the cross. Right, that's exactly right. uh, and, And to do that, this art of listening means, can I... Enter into the pain of another person. Right. I don't have to fix it, and that's right. the one thing you don't want to do. Right. You know that's that's the last, which is our natural inclination. Yeah, exactly I gotta right. fix it. No, I. Uh, but to enter into the pain, to yeah. let yourself feel the kind of pain or hurt, and you were describing that earlier event. I could see on your face, just bring it back to you. It was painful just to recall it. Mm-hmm. And uh, so can I let myself, with God's help, uh, sort of enter into the pain this other person is going through? And and not that I can fix it, not that I can take it away, but in order to listen and to care, I have to be willing to let myself feel some of that pain. And uh, I don't have to carry it all the time. I didn't as a pastor. I was with a person. I I would share in their pain at that moment, and I'd go home and forget it because I couldn't carry it. And you can't. But when you're with a person, will I let myself feel their pain? Mm-hmm. And I don't like that phrase in a way, but I don't know how else you do it and yeah. uh, let their pain touch you. And that's a ministry. That's a real ministry. Yeah. And, and you don't have to come with answers. You don't have to fix it. Right. It, yeah. it's, it's healing. It's making whatever, you know, whatever happens to me in my life, it's, it's changing it from this is something that I must be conquered where I have to conquer this suffering and, you know, in order to be better. And then this is where, you know, it's like, how, how can you have the peace that surpasses all understanding when you like lost a child or lost a spouse? You know what I mean? Like you, you cannot, you know, you can't do that. And so from a holiness mindset, you're like, am I going backwards in my holiness? Because I don't have, I have less peace now than I did before. And, um, the the way of the cross, um, kind of as as Luther and the the reformers process it, and as they pastor and lead, um, it's really just letting God God do His work. You know what I mean? It's and it's recognizing, you know, this pain, this suffering is God is doing something. Um, he's doing something to me, and that can be something that can be received um, with faith, and it's not something that needs to be conquered. Um, it just needs to be process it needs to be worked through and when i'm helping a person the goal is the goal in any of life's trials is to get through it right we avoid it we block it off Mm -hmm. that you got to deal with it at some point 
So the goal is not becoming holier, mm-hmm. which and holiness is a is a it's great a thing, thing, but right. but um, is getting through it. Right. And if you think of it in terms of East, a Good Friday and Easter, I'm going through this Good Friday, right. and sometime I'm going to come out on Easter. Right. So I'm, my life will get back to normal. In terms of my own grief, when my aunt died, it was two years mm. wow. carrying pain. Mm-hmm. When you love someone and you gather, you know, and anybody who's been through it will tell you that it takes a year and a half, two years to walk through wow. that pain. But it's. You're going through that. You're going through that Good Friday because mm-hmm. you know there's an Easter coming, right? Right. And that's the Christian vision. Yeah. It's not just endless pain. You're going through the Good Friday. You're you're on your way to Easter, yeah. and the goal in helping somebody is to help them walk through it. Yeah. Well, over the last little piece of conversation, I think we've we've done a good job of creating a space where I think anyone listening should know that they can step in and help out. It might mm-hmm. be something tangible like mowing a lawn or baking some food or right. buying something for them. But it also could be just the simple act of listening where you don't need a, a MDiv degree or something like that or a, a master's in psychology to do that. Right? Mm-hmm. You just need to be there. You need to to love people and care for people. And so I w- want to end with this. is something just really, really practical. If people are having a hard time putting handles on these ideas, what I'm going to do is have all three of us just simply – Share, if if you were going through hurt, what's one practical way that you would like people to be intentional about caring for you? Hmm. I would just say listening, as yeah. I've said all along. I mean, and to be there with me, I think there are three parts. You can do things to help people. You can listen to help people. And then it's a long term or an extended term. I mean, you're, you're going to stick with me through this. And um, the most essential would be just listening and let me unfold what's going Mm -hmm. on. I remember a woman going through grief when her father died, and her friend came over, and because her friend understood her, the friend just sat with her and said nothing. She was just there. And... um, that was the help that that person needed. But for me, it would be listening as I talk out my feelings and just and just listen, mm-hmm. and not have to, and not have to get in the way by trying to fix it for right. me. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and people mean well; they mean well. But many times when we want to fix it, we're, we're it's our own anxiety mm-hmm. over the situation. I want to step in and do, and it's the hardest thing is to just let that person be there, and I'll I'll listen. That's what I need. Yeah, I think for I think for me it's I I just want time with. You know, I'm not even you know, listening is so important, but I don't I'm not a particularly emotional person. Like I don't, you know, I I'm not particularly emotional. Um but I know that when I feel um when I've gone through stress or suffering in the past, the most important thing for me is just my my friends and my family just being physically present um, with me for long periods of time. Like that's, that's where that healing happens is just knowing um, that somebody's there and whatever it is, you know, watching television, having meals, you know, whatever it is, but just the actual physical presence of the person of another person is really important to me. For me, which is probably completely personality based. It is for me, if I'm going through something, 
and you say, what can I do for you? Or, or what do you need from me or, or something like that? I will always say nothing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's probably a lot of my personality, a little bit of my upbringing that I was told to be self-reliant. Mm. And so when I run into a tragedy or a difficulty and someone notices it says, how can I help you or what can I do for you? I typically say, I'm, I'm good. I'm fine. Don't worry about it. Mm. I've got this. So I really need somebody to continue that pursuit mm. or maybe just to find something that I can't get done at the time and just do it, you know, whether it's pulling up with a lawnmower and mowing my yard, even if it irritates me, just do it, <laughs> you know, just do it. And and I think what we're seeing in this, this type of practical last question is every person in your life group will be different. Mm-hmm. And so, but as you, yes, as mm-hmm. you share life with one another, you're going to figure out what makes each other tick mm-hmm. and how to care for each other. And that's another reason why these life groups are, are a little bit better than even us pastors showing up because you're going to know each other better than right. we know you, which means when these things happen and I think maybe this is the answer you need, or this is the the help that you need. You might need something completely different, but I just don't know you as well as the person who's spending weekend and week out with you, uh, whether it's over lunch or coffee or, or whatever that is. Mm-hmm. So find those places to care for each other. So I'm going to close with this thought. We started with the book of Acts and we talked about how they met in homes, they cared for each other, and then we see this amazing thing, and that's not just sharing with one another and caring for one another. We see this amazing result. It says that the church began to grow, and I think that's of no surprise because I think everyone, everyone, everyone in life, believer, non-believer, they want places and spaces where people intentionally care for them. Yeah. And if they can find something that actually is authentic and actually behaves this way, a community that that functions this way, what is going to happen? They're going to be drawn to this type of community. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what we see in the book of Acts. People who, I don't know if they even theologically fully grasped what they were stepping into, saw this community that was unbelievable, and they stepped in. And over time, of course, they began to encounter the real Jesus in many, many different ways. But I think there's just a natural magnetic piece to this. And so... Um, as you're listening, you're probably thinking, yep, that's that's true. That's something I want. And so hopefully a life group can can be a space for that. Mm-hmm. Hopefully your church family can be a, a space for that. And uh, so we're looking forward to continuing this conversation with you next week. We're going to continue through our acronym, and we hope that uh, you join us next week and talk to you soon. <laughs>